0: So welcome, everybody. Um, As we already shared, this is not going to be our permanent space for us to meet, but we're so grateful that everybody is so accommodating. We actually have like four seats up here in the front. If anybody in the back is having trouble seeing me, because I am kind of short, even with heels, um, there's four seats here. You guys can just slip down if you guys want. We also have slides, so it might help you as well. Um, I can't believe you guys are here. My phone says it's negative four right now, and it feels like negative six. And if you guys made it out here, you must really, really love Jesus. So Pat, the person next to you, and say you're the real MVP. Thank you for coming out today. <laughs> you should have stayed home, but you chose to come out. That's great. That's really great. You guys are crazy. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so for today's word, we're going to be looking at 1 Kings 18. Oh, actually, we're going to be looking at 1 Kings 19. But this is at the heels of uh, a passage that is probably the most gangsta passage ever. It's one of my favorite passages. If You guys know this guy called Elijah. The most, like, uh, like hallmark moment that he had as a prophet was when he went head-on against 150 prophets of Baal. And he did it in the most gangster way possible. You know, he had a showdown, he had an audience, and he stacked the odds against himself and his God. And he dared, you know, Baal to show up, and he didn't. And he mocked them and taunted them, and then he called upon the name of Yahweh, and fire fell from heaven and consumed, you know, the altar. It was... It's really, really. If you guys ever need like a boost of faith, that's a chapter to go to. Like First Kings eighteen. This is like as gangsta as it gets, and not just that. Right after what happens is he ends the drought by praying for rain, and he prays seven times, and God hears him, and then all of a sudden rain begins to like you know come out from from the horizon, and he what's what's where he picks up his cloak and he begins to run and the spirit of God comes upon him and he runs faster than a chariot and he passes it. Ch- it's really, really crazy supernatural stuff. Anyway. So this is one of the most exhilarating chapters, I would say in the Bible after the showdown, you know, of one prophet of Yahweh against 450 of Baal, it would be like, you know, this over here, it's like probably about 150 people. So it'd be like three, four times, four times, right? Math. Three times, three times, three times, y'all three times y'all against one person that stands for the name of jesus uh, of yahweh um and it happens right after this so if you guys have your bibles or your phones with you if you could open up to first kings 19 this is one of those books in the bible that i actually have to look up on the what what uh, the not directory what is it the table of contents because it's really hard to to find. Um, so, First Kings nineteen. I encourage you um, to use your Bibles today since the slides might be a little bit hard to read from the back. First Kings nineteen. So this is the aftermath. What happens right after one of those like really crazy supernatural moments? And this is what happens. Uh, are we? Yeah. Okay. Here we go. So uh, verses one through two, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them. This is just a way of saying, I'm going to kill you, right? That's just a fancy way of saying, I'm going to kill you by this time tomorrow. And then uh, it continues on to say, Elijah was afraid. So this gangsta prophet of God, all of a sudden, he was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Elijah was afraid. Oh, sorry. Yes, I have had enough. So this is what happens right after one of those crazy, crazy times. And, you know, we're not just talking about bringing fire down from heaven and making it rain. Um, He had just, in the chapter even before that, he had just multiplied flour and oil for a widow. And he had just resurrected her kid as well, as if it wasn't enough. He'd done all these crazy things. And at the end of that, this one woman said, I'm going to kill you. Granted, it wasn't just any woman. She said, I'm going to kill you. And then all of a sudden, this fierce man of God feared for his life. All of a sudden. I don't know what happened to him, but this is my guess. And this is how it works with me. It's like, I have a pretty high tolerance for crisis, like, I'm more of a crisis-oriented person, so things come my way. I'm like, yeah. I, I, oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? I'm really going to step it up. And that that's, it riles me up. I'm just that kind of aggressive person, <laughs> I guess. But I'm more of a crisis-oriented person, so I have a pretty high tolerance for crisis. But then there comes a point. There's, like, I don't know what defines it, but there's this one point where it's, it doesn't take very much. I, like, like crumble, like, it's just, it doesn't take very much to hit that threshold. But once I hit that threshold, it's, like, over. Like, my, my cushion isn't there. My margin isn't there. And I need time off. I need nobody to speak to me. Like, I, yeah, I go into hibernation. Like, that's kind of how, how I operate. I don't know about you guys. But there's this breaking point for all of us. And there's this point when you said you say, I've had enough. Like, this is, this is it. Like, you just crossed the line. Um, and this is the moment... That it happens for Elijah. Now I love that the Bible records this because it humanizes Elijah somewhat, right? It 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 is a mighty man of God. He does supernatural things, but even he has his breaking point. Even he has his point when he says, You know what? I have had enough. Like that was the last straw. Have you ever reached that point? I don't know if this past year might have been one of those points. This past year was crazy for a lot of people for many in many different ways, but Man, when you reach that point, you don't even know what to do, where to go, what to say. And nothing short of God intervening sometimes can fix that situation. I remember there was this one time about like, I would say eight years ago, I was going through a really, really hard time. I was working in a church back in the States and it was just really bad. It was just really, really ugly. And I just happened to be in the middle of everything and um, I had I was just caught in the crossfire of a lot of different things. I don't even know how to explain it. And then there was personal crisis. I, I lost really close close friend to, to cancer. And we had, like, close friends have a miscarriage. And, like, crisis was happening in our family. It was just all these crazy things happening all at once. And I remember this one morning, I just had it. Like, I was, like how dare you, God, (laughs) like I was just so like seething, angry, just came out of, up out of nowhere. And I still remember, uh, I was at church at morning prayer and I was kneeling on the carpet and I was like, how dare you put me in this position? God, how dare you allow these things to happen to me? If you don't speak to me in the next two hours, I am done. Like, I am done with ministry. I am walking away from this thing. I did not sign up for this. Like, I'll, I was just angry, right? Just verbal diarrhea coming out. And I was just like, if you don't, God, if you don't speak to me, I am done with this. I am walking away. I am done. Um... And God, in his mercy, he did speak. He spoke two hours later, though. You know, like, he let me stew there for two hours, right? I don't know. Maybe he was trying to speak to me, but it was, like, you know, too much in my brain. But I remember God speaking to me, and all he said was, will you fight for my church? That's all he said as I was about to walk out the door. And I remember that's all it took. Like, it kind of disarmed my anger. It disarmed my, like, uh, my fist shaking at god that's all it took just one word from god and just everything kind of like just changed it settled things for me what i needed to know in that moment was god are you with me and is this my assignment is this what you're calling me to do if so you better show up and you better make it clear and god in his mercy he just decided to speak to someone who was shaking their fist at him for some reason and I wonder if something similar, obviously a little, you know, a lot more magnified, was going through Elijah's mind. He had reached that point. where He's like, God, you need to intervene. You need to show up. Otherwise, I'm done with this thing. You you might as well just kill me now. Let's keep working through this passage, though. It says, then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, a mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram, also anoint Jehu, son of Min- Ninshi, king of Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Menola, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Eli- sorry, Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. So, this is what happens to Elijah. He's crying out for the Lord. And if you guys didn't notice, he said the exact same thing twice. The only difference was he was in a different place. And God responded to him in different ways. What does God do when we've had enough? How does God respond to our breaking down? When we come to that point where we just cannot fix it, when it's just been accumulated stress or accumulated resistance and you just don't know what else to do how does god respond to that now we're going to look through four different ways in which god did respond to elijah the first thing he did is he lay, uh, elijah elijah he laid down under the tree and fell asleep all at once an angel touched him and said get up and eat he looked around and there by his head was a cake of Ba- uh, bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Are you guys catching what just happened just there? So he's going through all this in his mind and he's praying and crying out to the Lord and he takes a nap first. Have you guys ever been tired? <laughs> you just need a nap? Sometimes you just need a nap. Sometimes it's not that spiritual. Sometimes you actually just need, your body just needs rest. There's nothing unspiritual about taking care of your body, guys. (laughs) Sometimes we feel like I just need to go into fasting mode and I'm going to pray through the night. No, sometimes you just need sleep. Your body needs to recover as well. And not just that, God fed him and gave him drink. It was such an important need for God to cover for him that he he looked around, there was nobody to do this for him, so he actually sent an angel of the Lord to supernaturally bake food for him. (laughs) Can you imagine? Like This is how much God cares about your body. This is how much God cares about your needs actually being met. And it isn't something unspiritual. It isn't something that is beneath the Lord to do. God will mobilize either people around you, circumstances around you, for you to actually get rest. It continues on to say, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. God knows that there's a journey up ahead for him. And so... He got up and ate and drank and strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he went into a cave and spent the night. So what does God do when you have had enough? God will strengthen you. He'll find a means. He'll find a way, but he will strengthen you. He cares about not just your soul and your spirit, but also your physical needs. God had Elijah sleep. Then he had him eat and drink and he cared about it so much that even though there was nobody around he supernaturally produced food and drink for him he told him that there's somewhere he needs to go there's something that he needs to do and for that he's going to need strength and he doesn't let him die he doesn't let him stay there sulking we've all been there right <laughs> he doesn't let him just seethe in his anger and and sulk he even uses an angel just to make sure that his his needs are met This could look for like, for us, this could look in the form of many different things. Sometimes for us, all we need is just for somebody to reach out to us. Sometimes a text will do, Hey, you look a little bit down the other day. Is everything okay? Or somebody after service talking to you, Hey, is there any way that I can pray for you? Or, Hey, I, I hear you're sick. Is there anything that I can pick up for you on the way home? Or, Hey, I know that you are going through finals right now. Um, you know, it, can, can I make a care package for you? Or, you know, it, it could look like anything. Sometimes it's something very small, and it doesn't feel like it's going to be a game changer, but sometimes that's all it takes. And this is how much God cares about us. He will mobilize people around you. He'll mobilize circumstances around you to make sure that you are strengthened for the task that is up ahead. Second, when you've reached that point, when you've had enough, God, in his mercy, he reveals himself to you once again. So if you go back to Kings, uh, first Kings 19 verse 11, it says, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the earth, the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. So second is God will reveal himself to you once again. Now this passage, we have to be very cautious with this passage because often what God is trying to say isn't the Lord is not in the fire, the Lord is not in the earthquake, the Lord is never in the wind. It's only in the gentle whisper. That's probably what uh, what God is not trying to say. And I say this because of this, the previous chapter, just a chapter before that, it's probably on the same page of your Bible. God did show up in the fire in front of the altar of Baal. God showed up in the fire. In, this, in the last chapter, before the, wind start, uh, before the rain started to come down, God showed up in the wind as well. In that same place, Mount Horeb, it actually has another name as well. It's the same as Mount Sinai. This is where God showed up to Moses generations ago. And he showed up in the form of smoke, of trumpet sounding, and of the earth shaking. So God is also in the earthquake. So when we look at this passage, we have to be very careful in order to not say God will never show up in these other ways. God only shows up as a gentle whisper. That's not what God is trying to say. This is my guess. God is showing up to Elijah in a way that he has never experienced before him a gentle whisper is a new thing he's experienced god in like crazy supernatural ways and yet he's never experienced god in the form of a gentle whisper and god is allowing him to get reacquainted to him in a new way sometimes when we go through crisis and we look for god in the ways that we've looked for him before we have our go-to formulas don't we There's like that particular song that, yeah, I I go to the song and I'm going to connect with the Lord. Like, or I go to this particular cafe that has nice lighting and have good coffee. And like, this is where the only place that I can get my QT done or like, you know, I need all my roommates to be out of my house in order for me to connect with the Lord. We have these formulas that we kind of superstitious, superstitiously superstitious. Is that a word? Superstitiously kind of go to, right? We have like, this is the only way that the Lord has met me before. This is the only way that God will Meet me from here on out. We have those formulas that we go to, especially in our times of need. But often what God is trying to do is is he's going to show up in a different way. He's going to show up in a different way. Sometimes we go to him, you know, in the good seasons, when everything's overflowing and every prayer request is answered. And then there comes a moment when things don't seem to be lining up anymore. Things don't, like your prayers don't seem to be heard. And perhaps God is trying to get reacquainted to you in a different way. Maybe perhaps a God who sustains you through trial. Maybe a God who is enough, even in the waiting. Maybe a God who will answer, but he wants to connect you in a different way. And it's a good thing when God chooses to reveal himself in a new way. God, he has so many different facets, and he is so perfect in all these different ways it would be a shame for us to only know him in one dimension. Imagine I was to get to know somebody. I, was, I would say, like, Cindy, I really love you only on Wednesday mornings from 9.30 until 11.30 when you're out at a K1. That's the only time I really love you. Other times I don't really need to know any. That's not real love, right? Like, I would love to get to know Cindy outside of K1, outside of church, you know, and that is what true love is and in the same way when we just When we want to box God in into the way that he's always shown up, the the way that you've always related to him, that's a very one-dimensional way of knowing God. God wants us to know him in his fullness, in every kind of circumstance, in every stage in life, in every situation. He wants us to know him in a fresh, new way. So we cannot make a formula out of God's presence, and that is such a good thing. If we had a formula to God, can you imagine what it meant to, like, we would just relate to Him the very same way? If you had a spouse, if, you know, if you had a spouse and you said, like, the only way that I'm going to relate to this person is on this kind of date night, on this kind of day, under these circumstances, and every other time, I, they're just not my spouse. That's not really love. That's not really marriage. That's not really unity, communion, fellowship. And in the same way, God doesn't want us to make a formula out of the way that we get to know him. So God often will throw us a curveball. He will refuse to show up in the ways that he's shown up before. And that is infuriating. (laughs) That is really annoying at times. But that is who God is. He refuses to be whittled down to a formula. So he can, if he's shown himself to you as a gentle whisper, he might show up as an earthquake. He might show up as a fire. He might show up as wind. God is God, and he comes to us on his own terms, and we have to let him be God. So in the way that Elijah experienced God, God was opening up a new way, a new avenue for him to relate to God. Now third, what happens once you've reached your breaking point, and he strengthens you, and he reveals himself to you once again. We're going to go to 1 Kings 19 verse 13. It says, Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came. How many days did it take him to get there? 40 days. (laughs) Go back. (laughs) It's like, oh, I'm done. It's just 15 minutes here. Now yeah, Another 40 days back. I don't know why God did this, but he says, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram, also Jehu son, the son of Min- Ninshi king of Israel, and anoint Elisha son of Shaphet from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. What God is telling Elijah is, you have a new assignment. I'm not done with you just yet. There's people you need to anoint. There's people you need to disciple. There's people that you need to bless and encourage. Once God has strengthened you, once God has made himself known to you again, he's going to give you a new assignment. Just when you think you're done, just when you think, all right, I did my part. Now, you know, you're good to kill me now. God will reveal to you a new assignment. Now this is something that the devil often does to us when we are at that breaking point. It is look, you've given enough of yourself. You've reached out enough. You've poured out enough. The return hasn't been all that great. Now it's time just to focus on yourself. Now this I'm not saying that there isn't a season to be introspective, to take care of your needs, to take care of yourself. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying if that's where you land, if you land in a place, you know what? I served the church tirelessly for the last three years. I'll be darned if they get another day out of me. I am never going to serve ever again. If that's where you land long term, there's a problem there. Now I say this very cautiously because I know a lot of people in this room are still going through a process of healing. So I say this very cautiously. There is a time and place for healing. There's a time and place for reconnecting. There's a time and place for the Lord to meet your needs, for you to get sleep, for you to take care of your body, for you to get reacquainted with the Lord. But then after that, there needs to be another step. And that is asking the Lord, what is, what are you calling me to do now? The end isn't to land in a place where like, okay, now I'm healthy, now I'm rested, good. And just sit there as a blessed person, but blessing no one else. So I'm saying this very cautiously, because a lot of people within this community have gone through very legitimate hurt. And it is something that is not going to be fixed overnight. It's something that's going to require a season of healing. And that I am very sure about. But I'm also very sure about the fact that that's not the end in itself that God will remind you you're here to bless somebody else. Yes, you've gone through something hard. Yes, you've needed your season of healing. Yes, I'm here for you and I'm getting reacquainted with you and I'm showing myself to you once again. But I'm blessing you also to be a blessing to somebody else. So the aftermath of us going through a season where we do need healing, we do need ministry, it cannot just end there. The aftermath has to be Once again, you look around and you see who God is calling you to bless, what your assignment is, what your task is as well. For those of you who are still going through this process of healing, can I just say this? God's not done with you yet. There's a lot of people that are genuinely hurt. But God will bring you to that place where you can disciple someone else, where you can believe in the church once again, where you can get involved in ministry once again, God will bring you to that place. He's not done with you. It's not in past tense. It's not, you've done your quota for your life, and now you can just, co- just coast for the rest of your life. God's not done with you yet. There's still people around you that need the light of Christ. There's still people around you that need discipleship. There's still people around you that need to be re- reached out by you. And perhaps... After a season of healing, when you have gone through so much, perhaps you'll have an even greater heart to reach out for those who are hurting around you. And lastly, so we've already been through three ways in which God responds to that breaking point of ours. Lastly, this is what God does. He says, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. All whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and all whose mouths have not kissed him. Lastly, God will remind you you're not alone. He'll remind you you're not alone. When we go through trial, once again, the devil will always get at you in this way. You are the only one. You're the only one who's having a hard time right now, or no one will ever understand what you're going through right now. The devil will always hit you with that in order to isolate you even more. But God, in his mercy, he will remind you that you are not alone. He's saying this to Elijah, who just single-handedly fought 450 prophets of Baal. Where were the 7,000 then? I don't know. Maybe his assignment was, this is your assignment, the 7,000 must not they're not having a picnic in the park either right like there's 7000 people who are probably also persecuted they're also probably going through their own hardship they're also probably also fighting against the the prophets of Baal in other different ways i don't really know the, the 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 scripture doesn't say that but god says he does make sure that elijah knows that even if you feel alone even if you look around you and you don't see anybody standing with you and standing on behalf of the name of Yahweh, there are 7,000 that I've preserved. There's 7,000 people out there who will lay their lives down for my name as well. So don't think that in your trials, you are all by yourself. I've preserved people. The danger of a season like the one that we're going through right now, especially right now as we are trying to merge all our different branches together. It is going to be of, "Ah, I don't know anybody here. I don't want to start from scratch. I don't want to go out to this fellowship event. I'm only going to go if this person goes or that's going to be our temptation this kind of season because honestly, we're trying to build community from scratch. A lot of people who have been there for us in the past, they have either left, you know, korea they have left the church they have moved on to different things there's so many different things around us that we used to point to and be like as long as this person is here then you know ministry is taken care of or fellowship is taken care of or i feel safe what if part of the season is god cornering us to that point where okay now we need to become family and it needs to start with me I, i cannot wait for someone else to take initiative on my behalf I cannot wait for someone else to reach out to me. I cannot wait until I know at least 70% of the people here, and then I'm going to feel like this is my home. We have to start somewhere. We have to start somewhere. And if we look around us, God graciously has preserved so many people here in this community, people who might have just been here for a month or two. If you've been here for a month or two, I commend you. I don't know why in the world you joined our church at this time. I don't know what drew you to it. But all I'm saying is God sent you here and we I cannot be I cannot be like, well, they're new, you know? Like, well, they're not this person that I knew that I've known for seven years. And you know, I cannot do that. I need to be grateful for every person that God has brought here to this church, and I need to make an effort in reaching out to them as well. I cannot just wait to be ministered to. I need to start somewhere, and that is me reaching out me ministering to somebody else, not waiting for the staff to do it, not waiting for the pastors to do it, but I need to hear a call of the Lord to reach out to somebody else. And that is part of the the challenge of the season. God will restore you. God will reveal himself to you again. God will give you your new assignment and God will remind you that you are not alone. That's what God is doing perhaps in this season for many of us. If you're not feeling any of this, just wait. (laughs) Just wait. Your breaking point will come sooner or later, and then you'll be reminded of this. God will restore you. He'll reveal himself to you. He will give you your new assignment, and God will remind you that you are not alone. Whatever that looks like in your life, whatever that looks like in your situation, in your group of friends, in your family, in your workplace, whatever that looks like, God will make sure that he does this in your life.